We are. We are live. We are live. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, this is a, the first um, live broadcast of the podcast we've done in a very long time, and we are very um, happy and honored and... Uh, happy? I am happy okay. and thrilled uh, to be part of the um, 2018 Mental Health Bloggers Conference. Um, everyone that is attending the conference, of course, is in um, London. While we are in Lakeland, Florida. We're in the United States. Yes. Southern United States, the peninsula yeah. of Florida. That's right. Enjoying a mild winter. <laughs> it I'm is sorry, been, to, sorry to say. It has been pretty mild so far. But we are really excited to, to have the opportunity to present today and talk about um, the emerging role of uh, blogs and technology in, in the mental health field. Uh, we're going to cover uh, quite a uh, range of topics, right. I mm -hmm. think. We're going to go a little bit beyond blogs, if that's okay. With yeah. your indulgence, we'd like to talk a little more broadly about um, the um, use of uh, online media right. um, in the fields of mental health, okay? right. a larger topic than we had anticipated. That's right. Now, um, we are in a bit of a delay uh, from you guys uh, that are attending the conference, and so I just got a message that they want us to hold on for a second. So, Okay. Um, we can do that. We're going to hold on for a second and see uh, when um, uh, Fraser asks us to, to get started back. Okay, now we're good to go again. We're good. Should we start at the beginning? Um, we can start at the beginning again. Do you want to okay, start? So at the we should begin by saying we're we're in the U.S. Yes, we are in the United States, and um, we are very excited to be part of the conference. And um, and we have our title slide up now: <laughs> the emerging role of blogs and technology in the mental health field. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a, a variety of topics, uh, including um, including blogs, but also right. we're going to talk a little bit about other technologies that are useful uh, mm -hmm. in the mental health field in, in general. Yeah, we had fully intended to confine ourselves to blogs, since mm -hmm. that's the topic here. But as we dove into this project, we thought, well, it might be as informative to talk about the other kinds of yes. online um, um, applications and blogs and newsletters that are available right so that um, listeners and viewers get a better sense of all that is available online absolutely so um, so for those of you who are maybe not as familiar with us I'm, I'm dr. Bernie Wilkinson I'm and, dr. Richard Marshall and we are uh, psychologists here in uh, Florida in the United States mm -hmm. and we see a, a, a wide variety of um, patients including uh, young children uh, adolescents, adults, uh, couples, we do group work, we do all kinds of things here. Uh, but one of the things that we really um, are enthusiastic about mm -hmm. is our, um, our dissemination of information. And that's yeah. why we do the podcast and uh, we have been uh, honored to join PsychReg um, and working with, with the blog, but also with the podcast and the journal. And um, so again, it's great to be part of this, this conference and have the opportunity to talk about this. Because technology is, it's here to stay, and um, you know whether it's whether it's blogs or it's uh, applications or, or anything else, it's here to stay. Even yes. even I'm beginning to accept it. You know, I'm I'm one of the holdouts. And that's a that's a big statement. For, uh, well, for me, um, I'm not a luddite um, actually, but. Don't, that smile. No, I'm not a Luddite, but I am one of the late adopters, right. okay? And I had a hard time with this because for me, at, at my age, this isn't a, a, um, a 
first right. language. It you're kind of on a cusp. Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. uh, it's almost a first language. You know, not as much as it is for young teenagers right. or the I generation. But um, yeah, I was slow to come to this, but you realize eventually that you have to adopt these technologies. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we do here is we will see, for example, we will see um, students who are in high school right. and they graduate from high school and they go off to college mm -hmm. and they want to maintain a therapeutic relationship. The only way you can do that is to do it online. Absolutely. But you want to do it well right. and you want to do it ethically and you want to do it legally. And I, that's been the challenge mm -hmm. is how to do it well. Right. And, um, and you're right, dissemination is, an, the other thing for us is we come from academic backgrounds, right. uh, mainly t universities and teaching hospitals, and a large part of what we do is dissemination. Mm -hmm. And we've always built ourselves as uh, translational right. researchers. We translate technical information into language that parents and teachers can use. Absolutely. Right? And again, having an online platform is a wonderful way to do that. Right. So Now, um, the importance i think of this conference and and of talking about these topics in general is because of the vast amount of information that's out there uh you did a search this morning oh, on man. mental health blogs and uh, you know you know surprising finding. And, and that that really is a key issue is the enormous amount of information mm -hmm. that you're going to encounter right um when you when you google um mental health blogs, you get 189 million, with an M, 189 million um, um, hits, places right. to go, uh, locations. And it's just an overwhelming amount of information. And, and as, we, as we walk through this, uh, the rest of this presentation, we'll talk about how to manage the sheer volume of information that you're going to encounter. Right, so, so we'll start with blogs, all right? Okay. So a blog is, you know, I, I think when we, <laughs> We've been laughing about this for a week. When we first started uh, researching and, and preparing for the talk, um, as is often Richard's first question, it, the question was, what does blog mean? Um, what is the, what is the um, origin of the word blog? And so we, we looked up, yeah. and of course, uh, blog comes from, it's an abbreviation of weblog. Weblog. Um, and Richard, surprisingly, in, in my opinion, made a connection immediately to Star Trek. Surprising? It was surprising to me. Why? Because Captain's Log. Um, yeah, remember Captain Kirk? Yeah. You say uh, Captain's Log. I, I remember that. Stardate 2159 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it was a log book. Yeah. Uh, sailing ships, uh, yeah. ships today have logs. They no doubt do it electronically, right. but ships logs um, were, the, were the captain's way of keeping mm -hmm. track of the journey and right. how quickly they got there and how many days passed in their food and the status of the crew. And so a log book was the daily update mm -hmm. um, regarding the journey. Right. And in fact, a blog is a daily update. Right. And one of the reasons we're going to talk about the difference between a blog and other types of sites but a blog is a daily update that can be revised and is revised on a regular basis. Right, right. Now, they're, they're oftentimes uh, very informally right. written and, and very conversational. Um, mm -hmm. they, uh, and they really encourage 
readers and, and um, viewers of the blog to participate or to engage, uh, to comment and to right. uh, ask questions and to uh, provide their feedback or their um, experiences. Right. Um, and so it becomes a bit of a forum um, at times. Um, right. Again, depending on the blog uh, specifically, uh, it can become somewhat of a forum for discussions and people to right. share their experiences and things like that. Right. And the other word here is engagement. What, right. what, what a blog seeks to do is to engage the reader, right. not only, so the reader not only reads, but can respond. Right. I think the, one of the great advantages of a blog, um, one of the great differences is that prior to blogs, you, you read something, but you couldn't, or prior right. to the internet, I'm sorry, you could read something and not respond. Mm -hmm. Now you can respond, you right. can react. Um, and we all read those comments at the end of mm -hmm. particularly news stories right. and other things that people start to grind their axes, but but a blog is meant to have this interchange. Right. Uh, it makes me think of Wikipedia, which right. we talked about in a recent podcast where people can add to Wikipedia, right. okay? It's not always scientifically accurate mm -hmm. um, or factually accurate, but but there is some check. You right. know, people, people do add and take right. away. But the, the point here is it's reader engagement where you can read and respond, Absolutely. and that's the big advantage of a blog. That's the advantage, but it's also um, why it's so important that we're talking about it. As mental health professionals, one of the things that we are often we often work to be mindful of is the fact that you know sometimes patients will come in or people that we're working with right. will come in and they will have uh, you know gone to uh, Doctor Google, Google right? and and they will you know find different blogs or different right. websites and depending on the source of information, right. um, they're going to potentially um, follow a path or think about things or, you know, sort of believe right. um, that they have a, a particular condition or that certain something specific is mm -hmm. happening to them that may or may not be based upon factual scientific right. information. One of the places we see this is on apps. Okay. Right. And we're going to, we're going to talk about them in, in more right. detail. But when we said earlier that the, the challenge with blogs or apps or websites is the sheer volume, mm -hmm. the, the number of, of sites that you're going to um, encounter, that mm -hmm. you're going to find. And not all of them have been tested. I mean, right. the, the, it's, it's, we mentioned Wikipedia a few minutes ago. The problem with this technology is it can't all be vetted. There, right. there just is too much of it. Right. And People are free now. We, um, there was a, there's a discussion in our country about net neutrality mm -hmm. and should everybody have equal access to the internet. Right. And th there's a raging argument now going on in Congress about net neutrality. The, the disadvantage, the advantage is everybody has a voice. Right. The disadvantage is that not all those voices are accurate. Correct. And so the challenge is going to be which ones can I trust mm -hmm. to um, be careful about the content right. and which ones should I avoid? Right, and this takes us to a, a really important point, and, and that is the difference between blogs and articles, right. um, scientific right. articles. And, and the difference is, in large part, the source. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, while, um, while scientific articles are typically written by professionals or researchers or, or people who are experts in that area, mm -hmm. um, Blogs can be written by anyone, right. and so we have to be mindful when we're looking at blogs and to, to know the source and, and where it's coming mm -hmm. from, and if that source or that um, that author has a particular agenda or motive right. or, or perspective that could um, 
be factual or, or not factual. So when we look at the difference between blogs and articles, the things with blogs, of course, is that, again, they're written very conversationally, um, very informal. Um, uh, but it's but maybe most importantly, they're oftentimes opinion-based. Right. They're based upon a person's specific experience. Um, it may not be um, generalizable, uh, meaning that you know everyone else may not experience the same thing as they do. Right. But um, but it's useful because it shares that person's experience. It says, okay, this person experienced that, which may be similar to what somebody else is experiencing, but, you know, it may not be. Right. And when we talk about access, or everybody having access, um, the, the, one of the great advantages of a blog is they're typically written in a more informal style right. so that they're easier to read and understand. Right. Uh, scientific papers, uh, clinical analyses, right. are sometimes difficult to interpret. We mm -hmm. talk about translational research. And I think the great advantage of bloggers is that they, many of them will take very complicated concepts mm -hmm. and um, express it, translate it into um, digestible form right. for the lay public. Because people who are, who are struggling with a mental health issue will go to the internet and um, they're, they're, most are not able to read a scientific paper. Right? You're just not going to know. You're not going to understand the vocabulary of the procedures. Um, a blog gives you access right. to what has traditionally been inaccessible. Right. And, and that reminds me of uh, a number of years ago. Richard and I have been, we've, we've worked with ADHD for decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, for a long time. And I remember there was an article, a uh, scientific article right. that we got uh, a couple of years ago. And it was really it was interesting. Oh. It was the it was the genetic one, um, oh, and we we got the article because it was we were really interested in what they were coming out with some of the genetics associated with ADHD. Um, I couldn't get through the first paragraph. Couldn't read the first paragraph. I mean, we're neuropsychologists by training, oh. and and I had never been in this swamp before. You know, and I thought I have no idea what there were letters put together in that uh, first paragraph that I'm sure were words, but. <laughs> They didn't make sense no, to me. No, it was it was someplace I had never been before. Yeah. So so scientific articles uh, are written in a very formal um, way that is right. um, oftentimes uh, uh, contains jargon, uh, contains um, information that really only people that are within that specific uh, domain are going to really understand. The advantage, however. Mm -hmm is that they are pe what we call peer reviewed. Right. In other words, when, when if, if we do a study, and Bernie have done some of this research ourselves, we submit those mm -hmm. to peers, right. and they go through it to make sure it's accurate, right. okay, which is a very um, safe right. and, um, and really good way to, to do research, mm -hmm. is you have other people um, checking the accuracy um, of your work. Uh, the disadvantage, of course, it takes a long time. Long time. Okay, mm -hmm. but the advantage is is that um, it leads to more accurate work. And we we all remember news stories. There've been several news stories mm -hmm. recently. Yeah. Um, the most recent that affects the UK and the US were the famous autism mm -hmm. and immunization studies, where that work had to be retracted right. because it was shown to be unreliable. Right. Um, professional journals like the Lancet mm -hmm. and the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have an ethical obligation right. to uh, present accurate work. Right. Okay. Bloggers don't. Right. The, 
they don't have the same ethical obligation right. that professional journals do. Right. And that's the great difference between articles and journals mm -hmm. and blogs. Exactly. And, and so we, we have to keep those uh, issues in mind right. as mm -hmm. we're, we're reading different, from different resources. And it's not to say that, that people who write blogs are doing mm -hmm. so in, in a deceitful way right. or in a necessarily in a manipulative way, though I'm sure that there are some of those out there. Right. Um, what they're writing is true to them. And right. this may not be true to other people. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody's trying to be deceptive here. I yeah. mean, I don't think there's any. So there there are some commercial bloggers yeah, right. who have products yeah. to sell. Yeah, um, but but they're not. It's not really deception. They right. have a product to sell, and if you're reading these or searching for them, you have to be careful right. about what uh, what you read and and how much you believe about what you read. Absolutely. Okay. So there is there is some reader obligation here too. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit then about how blogs are used in the mental health field. Right. And I think that there are two different two ways. ways. Right. Uh, one is as a resource, uh, a reference, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that there are um, times when I will refer my patients or um, I, I will go myself, of course, to different blogs right. just for the information. Um, we have um, blog sites like our, our own SiteReg mm -hmm. um, and GetSite and um, over here in the United States we have um, uh, Psychology Today and we have uh, Psych Central and some of these other large uh, groups that have, right. um, you know, they, they sort of bring in blog posts mm -hmm. uh, from different authors uh, from around the world. Um, that was actually how we met and began our relationship with PsychReg is we were asked to provide a, um, a blog post for the, for the site. And um, so when you look at those types of websites, um, blog providers, uh, you're going to get information that comes from professionals. Right. right. Typically. Yeah. There's, there's an organization in our country called the National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI. And they have a site. They have a blog that you can um, that you can read and follow and add to. That's a reputable site. That's a national right. organization. Um, the American Psychiatric Association right. has one. And so, if you if you move into those reputable organizations, um, you're but but those are the that's that second type. It's, mm -hmm. it's, these are reputable organizations that have. I would say accurate information. Right. They don't really have a product to sell. Right. Mommy's not going to sell you anything. American Psychiatric Association isn't interested in selling you anything. Mm -hmm. And you can go to those sites and feel fairly confident that you're going to get information. Right. There's another whole list that are done by individuals. Right. Okay, so you have organizations doing some, you have individuals doing some. With an individual, it's probably, um, probably accurate, but maybe more opinion-based. Well, right. You, you have even professionals who write um, individual blogs. Right. And so we have, um, you know, th th there is a, uh, a tendency, again, for it to be uh, not peer-reviewed, uh, right. for it to be uh, necessarily opinion-based. And, and there are professionals who have specific opinions that may or may not be, um, I don't like the word mainstream. mainstream. Oh, mainstream. Oh, yeah. I was making the same word. Um, but. But it's but it is the right. case that, that that happens, and so you can go to a you know a physician's website, mm -hmm. um, see their blog, and they may talk about um, you know some uh, intervention or some mm -hmm. treatments or something that is not conventional and is not necessarily uh, approved by any of the um, approving agencies uh, for a treatment, and 
you, you may see that there. Right, or it may be their particular approach to a right. topic. Um, I, I rely on a, a particular psychiatrist that I'm um, learning more about and using some of those theories. But it is his perspective. Right. Okay, it's not inaccurate. It's just his perspective. Right. Okay. Now, one of the one of the last pieces uh, as it relates to the reference um, side of the use of blogs is what you mentioned a moment ago, and that is the idea of translational research. Right. Um, when when you go to Psychredge or or Get Psyched or any of these um, other uh, blog sites, what you're going to find is information from uh, professionals, uh, from people with some expertise in these areas, but they're going to take the somewhat complicated uh, information from the research articles and they're Correct. going to provide it in a way that's going to be easily digestible for, uh, for, for anyone to read. Exactly, yeah, and I think that's the great advantage. Right, of that's what I like about yeah. blogs. Yeah, the engagement, first of all, the fact that you can react in, in immediately and that um, everything is in very readable, digestible form. Absolutely. Now, the second way that you can we can use blogs in the mental health field is basically through the role of support. Right. And in this in this way, blogs can almost become somewhat of a support group for people suffering or struggling with particular things. Right. Right. I think it would be. Um, I think the second thing is when you when you go into the world when you when you go into the internet and look start looking for blogs. There are many that are designed as supports. They're specifically designed to provide patient support. Right. Okay. It's not for information. Right. It's for support. Right. Um, I teach a course on a group. Um, right. Group dynamics. Uh, dynamics, and group therapy, and um, it's one of the great ways that after the group has met, right. and, and completed its work, mm -hmm. say it's ten or twelve sessions. Um, a group blog would be a wonderful yeah. way to provide support because there, you know, 20 years ago you had to be in physical contact or right. phone contact. Today you can continue the the work of the group right. by setting up a blog page for that group, and Absolutely. they can continue to stay in touch with each other. Absolutely, yeah, you can you can do that. And the with these kinds of blogs, you have. Um, support uh, from a variety of contributors. So you have people from um, various um, experiences. They, they can be professionals, but they can also just be individuals who have struggled with a particular um, challenge. Um, but you have all of these contributors coming together to provide support and, and assistance. They oftentimes talk about their personal experiences. Um, so they can say, you know, this is what I tried. And, and that's one of the things that we really like about um, groups and group dynamics and things like that is the is the shared experience the opportunity to to share some of those um, those things with the group right I was reading one the other day and, and a dad wrote in and said um, my daughter didn't do her homework or failed a test or something and I've taken her phone for a year uh, does anybody have any experience with this and in there were must have been 30 immediate responses saying right. I think it's a little draconian and you're not gonna want to do that and they gave all the reasons why a year is a little a little bit a, <laughs> a little bit much um, but it's a that's a wonderful use of a blog because now right. you have these people who who have done that and can say to this guy to say to this dad don't do that right. because that's going to backfire right okay and so you had that he had this immediate response you know, right. and good advice got good advice right and, and it can also lead to to other challenges because mm -hmm. just as that same example there you, you get these this phenomenon of people 
engaging in extreme behaviors, right. extreme right. Uh, parenting. Uh, we see it especially with parenting, um, but extreme uh, reactions to things, and it somewhat becomes glorified. In, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about um, social media, um, um, and especially so it is especially the case with uh, videos right. you know where you have people posting videos of uh, people behaving badly and if we're not careful those people can that, that behavior can be glorified or it can right. be overly emphasized to the point mm -hmm. where other people think oh that mm -hmm. might be a good idea yeah, that looks and so like I'm gonna try it as well that looks like a good idea yeah mm -hmm. so, so we have to be careful as it relates right. to that so mm -hmm. so blogging is a um, it, now having had the opportunity to to write our own blog posts uh, for a while and um, share blogs with with other uh, right. groups and agencies, it is a it is a fa fabulous um, approach um, resource um, for people to be able to get information right. from uh, again oftentimes from professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, where you can write to them, you can ask them specific questions to clarify this or to explain further that, right. and then they can engage in this conversation with a professional that you may not have otherwise had the opportunity to reach. Right. right. I I like blogging because um, I was doing those early morning uh, musings, you mm -hmm. know, the, the little blog page. I, you know, you'd get up and I I go through the internet and I look up health sites and mental right. health sites and physical things. And you run into things like uh, blue light. Remember when right. that was, yeah. people were talking about that. And we, we didn't know about that several years ago. But you read about it and you say, this is something I would like to disseminate. This is something I would like to get out mm -hmm. to a larger audience. Right. You can sit down in the morning and in 30 or 40 minutes, mm -hmm. you can post a blog and get that out to people. Right. You don't have to do an article that takes six or eight months to get published. Right. You can do it immediately you get it out the same the same hour right that you, that you type it so um, that's the value Absolutely. of dissemination yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's just good to get that information out there right. so so now we're going to switch and we're going to talk a little bit about apps yes applications talk about apps yes. that was another thing I had to ask what in the world is an app and somebody said he did really ask that I did I said, what, what are these apps just to say the apps what are apps? That's the second time he spoke spoken French to me in the last two days. <laughs> I said, but you have to understand. I said, I asked the same question. <laughs> I don't. So <laughs> that's the only French he knows. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, what is an app? And I was. I'm still kind of um, mm. not. Good. This hurts. This pains you, doesn't it? No, I'm, dig I'm digging it. You're smiling. Um, it's a derisive smile, however. Um, an application. It is. And an application is? An application is basically a program. Um, it, it can be a program, uh, a larger program like Microsoft Word is basically an application. Um, it's a pretty dense, heavy application, right. but it's an it's a application. Yeah. Um, or they can be very small and um, mobile, and you can put it, it can be on your mobile device, and it can work offline or online. Um, most games, uh, of mm -hmm. course, on your phone or uh, mobile device are apps. Um, 365 is online, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's a problem for us, isn't it? What? I don't... Because you have to load everything. It has to load. Oh, Office right? 365. Office 365. Oh. There's, a, there's another app called 365 that's a, um, I wouldn't, a sports app. And I was like, I don't know. How did you know about that? <laughs> oh, you were... No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to startle you. Um, yeah. No, Office 365 is... Yeah. 
online. Right. It's not in the computer anymore. And so everything has to load up. So yeah. it takes extra time. Right. That's an application. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so when it comes to apps, we're, we're, there's there is a, a a bit of a variety that mm -hmm. we could talk about. Um, you have um, apps that are web based, and you have apps that are um, self contained within the computer. Right. Um, and so they are um, they they can be of a variety of sizes when you talk. Talking about this, the, the density uh, of the of the app itself. Because a mobile app, you right. I hear, I, I don't use them, of course, but <laughs> I hear all about mobile apps. So that would have to be smaller right. than a desktop. You can have a desktop on your computer. Right. Web-based is on the web, and you access right. it. A mobile app goes to your phone. Right. Mobile apps are probably the most popular right now. I would guess. Well, there's a lot of them. Because yeah. there's so many of them, yeah. and it's portable, and you can carry it yeah. with you. But but a mobile app doesn't do as much as a desktop app would do. Right. A, a desktop would be a much larger program. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about apps related to mental health mm -hmm. specifically, yeah. there are a lot of them. I was shocked Yeah. when I saw that number. I, had, I didn't realize there were 10,000 apps in existence. Luckily, we're, the screen that we're showing right now is the... Um, is the slide because that was my um, my goodness oh okay so but yes it, it, <laughs> there are millions of apps um, and I did have to <laughs> you say that with you say that with such it. with such uh, <sighs> um, something sympathy <laughs> you look at me with this sympathetic look and say dear there, there's so many apps it's like it just makes God love them <laughs> it just makes me sad sometimes um, so there there, there, are, there are millions of apps. millions of apps truly and, millions and, yes. Um, and there's 10,000 or more uh, apps specifically for mental health. But what's really concerning about it right. is that most of them have never been validated, or none of them are, or very few of them are actually evidence-based. Pause there. Yeah. That's that. One of the take-home messages here is that this these apps mm -hmm. are not tested. Right. Most of them have never been tested. Right. Um, it's not that they're not useful, right. it's not that they don't have some value, but you must know that they're not being tested. They're simply, I mean, there, there are 10,000 of them, right. okay? And they've come out in the last couple of years. Right. There hasn't been time to test all these things. Absolutely. And they're not tested anyway. They're brought to market quickly. Mm -hmm. These are mainly businesses mm -hmm. that are doing these apps uh, because it's expensive to build them. Right. We've We've talked about yes. building apps, but it's very expensive and it's very time consuming. And they're brought to market quickly and hopefully monetized quickly. So when you get to apps, like blogs, most of them are not going to be tested. Right. Okay? And so be careful. Right. When you, if you're talking about mindfulness or um, uh, getting through the holidays or mm -hmm. dealing with family, that's one thing. But when you start to move into more serious right. mental health issues, such as suicide or sobriety, some of those things, then you have to be a little bit more careful because if you give somebody the wrong advice, it could have catastrophic consequences. Yeah, uh, there's a few stats here yeah. on this slide. You know, there was a um, someone who looked at uh, 700 different mental health oh, um, apps, right. mm -hmm. and only four percent of them were considered right. to give. Um, acceptable information right. and of 58 um, apps that are specific to sobriety none of them were formally evaluated that's right and, and think about that here's here's 
this is about sobriety. This right. is important information. And yet none of them have had ever been evaluated for accuracy or effectiveness. Right. right. And, and, and part of that is, um, is honestly because validating an, an app is really difficult to do. Right. Uh, you know, it's not like, um, you know, you could do peer review like you do um, um, articles right. and things like that. But apps can change, you know, pretty easily. You can right. go in and change a change a few lines, a few mm -hmm. things here or there, and and it's immediately updated. Um, unlike you know scientific journals and articles right. that that take right. a lot of time. So it, it is uh, there's a there's an issue there as it relates to maintaining right. accuracy and ensuring that it's correct. And you you mentioned how expensive it is to to create an app. It is really expensive. However. There's no, there's not a governing body that says no. to be able to do an app that talks about right. depression, you have to have some expertise. We don't have a food and drug administration for apps. Right. I mean, that's what the food, that's what the FDA does, right. is you bring a medication to market, but it takes years to test that medication. Right. There's no such um, analogous organization right. for apps. They right. just will pop up. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we we know of certain apps that are um, that that are created by professionals yes. who know what they're talking right. about like right. EQ we, we had the opportunity to that's um, right. to interview um, Dr. Lipton um, I think she's doctor now she was finishing up her, yeah, her, her dissertation mm -hmm. um, but Dr. Lipton she um, created a EQ um, and we talked to other um, mental health professionals and um, experts in, in, right. in the field who have provided or created apps that are very valuable, very right. um, good, like you know Headspace, and uh, we'll, we'll have a list here in just a few right. moments. But so, so there are those that are really good, but then there's others that you know someone's put together because they just like they would a blog, they put it together because it, they wanted to share information, they wanted to, um, it, it may be their own uh, motivation or their own um, <clears throat> you know agenda that they created um, an app for. And it may or may not be good information. That's right. Yeah. And, and so when you go in to look at whether it's an app or a blog or a website, um, there's a little thing called about us. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, I would always click on that right. if you're looking around because that tells you who's behind this right. um, um, yeah. particular app or blog. And there's, there's one in, um, in the United Kingdom, I, I believe it's called Healthline. And um, they have uh, all of their, uh, all the business people, mm -hmm. but then underneath that, they have all their professionals mm -hmm. and it's PhDs and MDs and right. psychiatrists. So whatever gets put up on their site mm -hmm. um, has been checked mm -hmm. by their staff. Right. Okay? Um, and again, they're not, they're not selling you any, mm -hmm. they're not, they may not be selling you anything. Many of these apps are free. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so they're not selling you anything, but check out, uh, go spend a little time and go into about us and, right. and figure out what is their mission mm -hmm. and who's on their staff. Right. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are, uh, at least here in the United States, and, and I'm not sure if it's happening in the UK yet or not, but we have research groups that are creating prescription apps, That's right. uh, prescription games, yeah. prescription apps for, uh, for different things. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, a researcher at the university, uh, the Florida state university mm -hmm. who's creating That's an right. app, 
uh, game for people with ADHD, um, and they're seeking FDA approval uh, right. to make it to where you know this is something that even maybe even insurance would reimburse for, and so it's moving in that direction. Right. But um, but, but that's encouraging right. because if, if you go here's a man who's at a major university, mm -hmm. he is seeking FDA approval. Now you're on pretty solid ground. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but check that stuff out. Yeah. It, it really is our obligation to make sure. And if you are a professional, it's your obligation that if you're going to recommend a site, that you have done due diligence and you've you've uh, you've looked into that site and you know right. you know what you're. Uh, what you're advising somebody to do. Right, yeah, so we put up this um, quote here from a, an article at yeah. the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association uh, Psychiatry, JAMA Psychiatry. Right. I don't know why my uh, brain didn't want to say that. And the quote says, uh, bottom line, apps used to enhance mental health are increasingly popular. However, for many apps, there is no evidence of efficacy and some may offer advice that is harmful and compromise patient privacy, but some may be helpful. When discussing such apps with patients, the American Psychiatric Association app evaluation model can help guide discussion and inform decision-making. Now, here's a scary thought. Mm -hmm. uh, they use the word privacy here, okay? Many of the apps are free. What you're, the price you're paying is your medical information. So once again, before you sign up for an app, make sure what terms you're agreeing to, because you might be exchanging, the, the deal you're making is, I agree to give you right. my medical information yeah. in return for using your app. So privacy is also an issue here, so right. be careful. That might also happen with, I don't think it'll happen with blogs um, as much, but be careful with apps. Absolutely, okay. um, absolutely. Know, know what you're giving up right. with a free app. Absolutely. So, and here's a, a list of um, some of the most um, helpful. Right. And look, to be honest, if you go onto Dr. Google and you type in um, the best mental health apps, right. you're going to get um, you're going to get a lot of lists. Yeah. Um, it but goes on forever. It does. Mm -hmm. It does. But we have used a, a number of these that are on this list, and so um, and, and we we like a number of them. So. There is, uh, for example, Calm is at the top of the list, and that is a great uh, uh, app for um, meditation and to reduce stress. The same with Headspace, and a little bit further down the list, uh, Pacifica is, a, is a one that I recently found that I've really enjoyed. Um, some of them are more specific to mood or anxiety, like Mood Notes um, helps you helps mm -hmm. note your uh, mood throughout the day. Uh, anxiety Relief Hypnosis is, a, is an app that, again, mm -hmm. obviously uh, helps reduce uh, right. anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm interested in looking more into the one called Talkspace. Right. Uh, Talkspace is a is a app for um, for online therapy. Right. Um, so they provide therapeutic um, services. It's actually real people. It's real people. It's like calling um, a call center. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure how they do it. Yeah. But they have 100 or almost 200 uh, therapists online in all time zones, right. ready to provide advice. Um, there, there are all kinds of interesting questions right. that arise, but um, it's a great idea. I have no idea how they're organizing it or how they keep track of it, but right. it's a wonderful idea. Um, Super Better, it's about halfway, about number six or seven on the list. Super Better has been studied at the University of Pennsylvania. Right. So here's, a, here's an app that, and in fact, uh, a university has undertaken the study yeah. of, its, of its efficacy. So um, there, there are 
there are some good things out there, and I think there's emerging um, there's an emerging awareness right. that we have to be careful uh, that we want to be more careful Absolutely. about these. Absolutely. So we'll now switch to to our third uh, area, and that is the area of social media. My favorite. Um, and, and what I really like, because this kind of ties it together just a little bit, um, there are types of social media called microblogs. Um, Twitter, for example, is a microblog. So it kind of takes us back to the topic of blogs from the beginning. You like how we did that? <laughs> Don't laugh, Richard. So social media is... My friends in the UK are laughing <laughs> about Twitter and me. We will talk but about I that understand. in just a moment. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But um, social media includes a, a, a lot of different um, things. And in fact, um, in some ways, blogs can be considered types of social media because of the way in which you can interact and engage. Mm -hmm. um, so social media include any type of uh, forum or app or um, website or resource that a person can access to communicate with other people, to stay in contact with other people, to share information, share pictures, share videos. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but it's often done in pretty close to real time. And a, a blog really is a type of social media. Right. I mean, we, we, but if you look up social media yeah. and mental health, I, you know what you're going to find, right. how bad social media is for mental health. Right. It's hard to dig through that literature. Mm -hmm. But you're right. A blog is, is social media. It's putting people in touch with each other, right. uh, especially people who might not otherwise find each other. Now you have a way to do that. People right. of similar interests can use blogs to, uh, to connect with each other. Absolutely. So... Um, there's different types of social media. Mm -hmm. um, the most common we have here uh, on our side, there's some networking like, like Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a little bit less formal. LinkedIn is somewhat more professional. Um, microblogging, as mentioned, uh, Twitter and Tumblr. I know about Tumblr. Okay. I, I have college students. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, photo sharing, um, like Instagram, uh, Pinterest, and um, Snapchat, little, things like that. Little little slippery slopes there. It can be slippery. Three. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, especially Snapchat. Well, you know, no, never mind. I had a patient recently, 12 years old, said, no, no, nobody can see this. It says it's private. It says only I can see it. And I thought, mm. we have to do this every generation. Every generation. It's not private. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So, it's a, but in blogs, you don't have a lot of pictures. Right. You, you don't have to, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the third, of course, uh, the last one there is, of course, video sharing. So you have YouTube, uh, Facebook, Live, and of course, what we're doing right now in this right. uh, for this podcast, which and that is, is uh, Google Hangouts. Google Hangouts. So, um, of course, through YouTube, but that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, when it, when it comes to social media, the, the things that we have to uh, be cognizant of, of mm -hmm. course, is the fact that, as you just said. Many times people will think that it's more private than it is, right. um, and so people will say things, say things, and do things, things, and, do things. and post things that um, that uh, break privacy. Mm -hmm. That um, you you really have to be careful of who you have. To, whatever you do with social media, you have to assume that the world is going to see it. That's the safest way to do it. Yeah, you know. You don't want it to be in the newspaper, yeah. the front page of the newspaper tomorrow morning. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't post it. Question. Okay. Snapchat. Yeah. Do they really disappear? Um, it depends. I can't believe that they disappear. I believe that they might disappear from your phone or the other person's phone, but I'll bet there's a server somewhere. There may be. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've heard that 
there are people who went to Snapchat and were able to get some records uh, from See. from the past, but I don't I don't know how far back it goes. I don't know in what kind of detail. I don't know if it. I can remember when Snapchat first came out. Freaked parents completely yeah. out. They were absolutely terrified of Snapchat. Yeah. Now they use it. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so social media is a it, social media is a um, pervasive uh, uh, source of information and, right. and contact. But the reason that we're mentioning it is because, um, as we said, you know, Twitter is a type of microblogging. Right. Uh, these are ways. Social media um, includes ways for us to access and to um, resource right. mental health services and mental health needs. Right. And um, share information, yeah. share ideas, share approaches, share treatments, um, mm -hmm. you know, share professionals, you know, right. say, hey, look, we went to a guy in Rochester, New York, and he was great, or we right. found somebody in San Francisco who does this, Absolutely. and we were very pleased. Yeah. So how else would you get that kind of information? Right. Well, you, you have uh, professionals, things like Twitter. Right. Of course, you have professionals who are on um, who have their own Twitter page, Twitter right. feeds, and the, and they provide valuable information about uh, various resources right. um, and, and supports for people. Right. But what, what I, um, you know, one of the main ways that I think about right. it is just for, again, the general population. I had a patient, a teenage girl, who uh, had some issues with eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And she had an Instagram uh, feed that was all about supporting people who were struggling with um, so eating disorders. Support, huh? Okay. Yeah, she would post memes and mm -hmm. I was like, we'll go over those later. Today. Um, memes or um, I hear my children talk about memes. Is it, is it in the Urban Dictionary? Probably. Yeah, me completely escapes me. I've asked you about memes and you've defined them. Um, it's a little bit fuzzy. You worries me. Um, but. They, they, she posts memes or pictures or um, just sort of motivational um, images good. for people who are struggling with eating disorders. So it can be very helpful. But again, we get into the same issue as blogs. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because the other thing they can be is instructions right. on how to become anorexic or bullied. Right. You know, that's yeah. the downside of this thing is that right. you, there are support sites for right. eating disorders, this is how you this is how you do an eating disorder, right. um, and so I'm glad to know that she did the reverse. Right. So again, the upside and the downside of, right. of these sites. Yeah, absolutely. And so we we have to uh, think about the, right. the pros and cons as it relates to social media because, you know, certainly there are as you said there are lots of uh, resources and research articles mm -hmm. that suggest that. Uh, social media is not very good for us. Right, right. Um, so when we think about the, the, the cons, we have you know, the idea that um, there was some recent research that suggests that the more time a person spends on social media, the more that they report, they, the more likely they are to report feeling lonely. Depression. Um, and they experience depression and, and anxiety. Um, we start decreasing social skills. You know, right. we, we start losing that ability to interact with people face to face. Um, and, and maybe most importantly, uh, as it relates to adults, is the idea of losing productivity. Right. You know, there have been lots of research out there to suggest that people are spending way too much time on social media during the work hours, and so they're losing productivity in the in work, and this causing those kinds of issues there. Right. So, um, but but there are pros as well. There are. It's. It's. Um, even I, as I, I confess to being a late adopter, right. um, don't know what a meme is yet. 
Um, I kind of know what a meme is, but I don't use them. And so, um, but even I, as a late adopter, mm -hmm. um, find them to be exceedingly useful, um, right. both as a contributor and as a consumer. Right. Okay? Um, each of these things that we've talked about um, plays a valuable role, can play a valuable role right. in um, exchanging information. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the great part about it, is the exchange of information. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's great. But it does, it, it takes a toll. Um, you know, we, we joked that um, we were going to mention your, um, your involvement with Twitter uh, just a few minutes ago. And, and do we the, have time to mention It's that? just going to be real quick. What, you're going to do it? But the, yeah, I'll do it. Okay. The, uh, I'll share from my perspective. Um, the, I, one of the things that you said after you got your um, Twitter account. And, and, in, in, in the summer of this year. Right. I, I didn't sign up. August. I was signed up for Twitter at the beginning of August. Right. My friends here in the UK decided that it was time yeah. for me to have a Twitter account. I was sitting at a table where everybody was tweeting uh -huh. and I was suddenly realized that I was left out. And yeah. I thought, that's how kids feel. Yeah. They get left out. Um, yeah. And so I signed up for Twitter. Mm -hmm. And what did I discover immediately? This is hard. It was time. It's so time consuming. I got bombarded. Right. I typically have 21 Twitter things Right. Tweets, <laughs> unanswered tweets. Uh -huh. And I, you look at it and there's a little bird there. It says 21, 25, 30. It takes time to keep up. It does. I marvel. I have my phone out on my desk and I marvel at you guys. You have these running things, mm -hmm. you know, our buddies in the UK. And there's all this exchange going on. I, saying, I, I don't have time to do that. Right. I'm busy typing a report or yeah. making, you know, doing something else. It takes time, right? But but it's but it allows us to keep track of what Fraser's doing and what um, our, fr our Fraser is very good at. Fraser, you yes. are. I, I I hope you're listening to this. You're very good at this. I'm I'm I continue to be impressed at the volume uh, that you produce and how you keep up with yeah. this one. I don't know. It's doing great. So, but there, but there are um, you know positive ways to use social media, and, and there there are, uh, are apps and um, social media. Um, programs like um, OMD, OHMD, sure. where, where a patient and a professional a physician or a psychologist right. or counselor mm -hmm. or therapist or something, they can chat with each other in uh, a HIPAA-protected, yeah. right. uh, here in the United States we have HIPAA, which protects um, mm -hmm. uh, patient privacy. Um, but it's HIPAA-protected, and so they can communicate right. and chat back and forth, so you mm -hmm. have very immediate access to... Um, Right. To to your physician or your provider, your treatment provider, but you also um, there's also you know sources of support mm -hmm. through social media for patients or for people who are struggling with different things like through forums and, and some of those kinds mm -hmm. of um, right. uh, sites, um, Twitter feeds and Facebook pages that are mm -hmm. there to provide information about things. So right. there are a lot of um, positives associated with with social media. We we can't just um, focus on, on the negatives. And we have a professional obligation to, sure. we, you know, you can't leave your professional hat at the online door. Right. I mean, uh, we have our, as professionals, we have an obligation to um, find out uh, as much as we can about a site before we recommend it to our patients. Right. If we've used it ourselves and we find it reliable, yeah. that's good. But uh, we have we have that professional obligation. Right. And if you're a consumer or user, uh, make sure what you're what you're using is reliable Absolutely. and accurate. Absolutely. So so wrapping up, 
as we're coming close to the end here, before we take a couple of questions, um, we want to note that um, you know when it comes to blogs and applications and social media, all of these can be tremendous supports uh, and sources of re uh, resources for people you know who need information about mm -hmm. something that that they or someone in their family is going through um, for um, for themselves, of course, um, or for anything that they're anticipating or something coming up. If they need information, you know, these are great ways because then you're getting it from people. You have the potential, I should yeah. say, mm -hmm. of getting it from people, getting information from people who have lived have through it, there. have been there, or who are even professionals in that area. Yeah. It's just we got to make sure that it's good information. Right. That's, um, right. That's the obvious. I really like what you said about the um, about us. Right. You know, looking look at that and, and make sure that that there are at least people who are professionals um, involved that are, you know, offering the information um, or at least reviewing the information right. before it's posted or, or put out there. Um, otherwise, you know, we get stuck to this um, idea of we're not sure if this information is good or not. Right. Um, and you mentioned the pro-ana pro uh, sites that are uh, pro-anorexic, um, you know, you know, that's a problem, right. you know, and, and Google and some other search engines have, have put some resources in place to prevent those from coming up in searches. Right. But, you know, yeah. the fact that they are out there means that people are accessing They're using them, them right? You know? They're using, yeah, it's frightening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, checking the source, checking the author, looking to see, um, you know, as best you can, right. what the um, what the motivation or what the uh, agenda is mm -hmm. for the person or the group that is, Publishing the information uh, because, you know, otherwise, you know, we, we had a guy here. Uh, there was a physician here in in Florida, um, probably ten or twelve years ago, who uh, had a website and he was selling uh, vitamins mm -hmm. that he claimed cured autism. Um, now, if you went to his website or in his blog and everything, it would he would look very professional. He would look like. You know, this guy is a, is an expert in this area. Look at all the all the work that he's done, and he says that these gummy vitamins will cure autism. You know, and the testimonials are typically newspaper articles or letters from uh, supposed to be patients um, and and that sort of stuff. So, um, be careful with all that. Yeah, you, know, you can yeah be careful. Yeah, and it's not a really a buyer beware um, field of inquiry. I, I think most of most of the blogs. But I would stick with those that are associated with professional organizations. Absolutely. I mean, that's the safest way Absolutely. to do it. Stick with those or with reputable people. I mean, there are, there are people. I, I, we mentioned Fraser a few minutes ago. Right. He's a reputable professional. He's putting accurate things out there. And we know that because um, we know him and we know that he's a professional. Right. So, but stay close to home. Right. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, you know, many times those um, – professional resources will have their own app or their own right. blog or their own website. That you can trust them. Yeah. All right. Right. So um, we had a, um, we're going to open it up now uh, for some questions. And um, I know that uh, we're, I'm trying to stay in, in contact um, uh, with uh, Fraser and everyone over there uh, and Dan over there in the um, UK to be able to respond to questions. Uh, and one of the questions that we've already been offered is, you know, how can we work to, um, to, to, to vet or to verify or to, you know, ensure that an app or um, a, a blog or something is providing valid information? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the ways that I, I would certainly encourage is, um, you know, 
through my work as a um, uh, professional that, that I honestly try to make recommendations for blogs and applications and things like that for people is I get them myself. Right. And so if, if a person is wondering about a particular app, hey, is this a good app for um, meditation or for stress management or for dealing with depression or whatever, um, I go on and I try to find it and I try, I will try it out myself and see if the information is good information. So um, if you're wondering if an app is good, you know, try to find a professional who can uh, who you can talk to, um, who will you know tell you um, and try it out themselves. Yeah, and one of the ways you can do that, uh, and we do it all the time with uh, with patient care, is that if you're not sure about something, your ethical obligation is to check with other professionals. And so one of the things that I would do because I am less um, experienced in this realm mm -hmm. is I would go to other professionals. Um, I have the advantage of working with Bernie, who does keep up, and I can say, hey, do you know of a good app? for depression, right. okay? Um, and I can go to other professionals, mm -hmm. other people I know, um, and I can say, hey, I have a patient who'd like to do this, do you, can you recommend anything? Right. So um, um, that's something that we already do with, uh, with patient care. Right. You know, we say, this is what I'm thinking about doing, am I on safe ground here? Um, and so you, you apply that same ethical standard yeah. to, um, before you recommend apps or blogs. Absolutely, and, and you know, and I guess the last point would be before you, before you make any decisions or changes or um, anything like that based upon what you read in a, you know, on a blog or uh, see in an app or uh, on social media or anything like that, make sure you, you, you thoroughly read it and you, know, you, you do check with other people or you, you know, kind of search the internet for other yeah. supports for that. Right. Um, you know, we were talking about Google, uh, Dr. Google, a little while ago, but uh, Google Scholar can be your best friend. That's I mean, right. Google Scholar, because that gets into that's, that's um, right. scientific journals and right. things like that. And so if someone's recommending a particular vitamin or a um, particular thing to, to manage something and you, it just doesn't sound right to you, um, you know, go to Google Scholar and, right. and type in those keywords and see if there's any scientific journals that um, support that. Right. That's right. And use about us. You know, find out about the organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Go to the source. Right. So. Okay. Um, all right. That those were the main questions that we've gotten so far. Um, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Fraser there. Um, if there's uh, any other questions or anything else they would like from us, um, I'm going to. While we're doing that, I'm going to put up our contact um, uh, slide so that you can um, have our information on how to contact us if you want to. Okay. We just had a question um, that was posted to us. Uh, so let me switch over uh, to our uh, slide. All right, so uh, the question was, um, when you write a blog uh, for an audience, how do you communicate that something is not necessarily research-based, but based on your own experience? Um, I think that uh, th there's a couple things to, to think about. Two things. Um, first is, I, I think, saying that right out, um, just saying, you know, this is, this is from my experience, um, according to my experience, you know, dealing with this or um, being, um, working with this, um, this is what I did or this is what I, um, what I went through. Um, so I think that coming out right off from the beginning to say that would be important. Yeah, I think, I think the distinction is um, what I try to do when I do a blog is if I'm going to say something, I go into the literature and I, and I find out, is there anything about this right. that, that I might be able to 
and you don't have to explain it. You just have to say, there's a study done. Here's the link. Right. Okay. Um, that's one way to do it. If you can't find anything, you can say, there is no literature on this right. topic. But in my experience, my mm -hmm. personal experience is, or the experience of my patients right. um, is this. Right. Um, and so you, you, you just admit it. But I think we have the obligation as professionals to at least find out if there is any literature on a particular topic. Right. And if, you, and if you're a blogger who isn't a, necessarily a mental right. health professional, uh, but you're just writing, again, from your own experience, I, I think, uh, as you said, yes, I, I think it may be important in your um, About Us mm -hmm. uh, page or something like that to put in there, um, you know, maybe even on the homepage of your mm -hmm. um, of your blog, put on there that you know the the information provided here is based upon my experiences, right. um, and unless otherwise noted, you know, these are you know my opinions and um, may not be consistent with what uh, a medical professional, a mental professional, or somebody um, an expert in this area may may suggest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, or always safe check with your um, right. personal physician, or your psychologist, or your therapist. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that's we say. Any, any other questions? All right. We were asked another question, mm. um, and this time we were asked um, that we mentioned Google Scholar, um, and we were asked if there are other good sources um, of information to, to validate um, information. Um, I, I think that there are a, a couple of other sources. Um, you know, again, Google Scholar is probably the easiest, um, is most probably the most universally available. <laughs> Uh, to everyone, um, but there are others here in the United States. Uh, for example, we have the American Psychological Association, who has a um, website with a tremendous amount of information. Um, the British Psychological Society has a, a website with a, a lot of different information that you can you can go to. Right. Um, you know, we we did a podcast um, uh, not long ago on um, on on something that you know we don't typically talk about. We talked about hyperhidrosis, mm -hmm. right? And so. Um, when we wanted to get some information about it, and we had originally um, kind of come across a, a blog post about um, mm -hmm. a person experiencing uh, some stress and anxiety associated with um, excessive sweating, mm -hmm. um, we just kind of went into Google and did, did some searches, and we found the International Hydros uh, Hyperhidrosis Society, yeah. um, and we started reading from there. So, you know. When you go to, when you're looking up a particular topic or you're concerned about a particular issue or, or, or problem, uh, I think it's important to, to go to the organization or the, um, the society that is specific to that topic. Right. Look for an organization specific to that topic. If you can't find one and you go into just, you just go into the internet, um, <clears throat> go to sites that mm -hmm. end in dot org mm -hmm. edu mm -hmm. and dot gov right because then your government organization or education right they're typically uh, not trying to sell you anything dot com typically we have a dot com site right um, we're not really trying to sell anybody anything right ours is dot com i think it's accurate and reliable but if you're if you want to be sure uh, go to any website that ends in edu, gov, or org. Right. Um, we also have the um, here uh, in the um, well, it would be available um, anywhere. It is things like WebMD uh, mm -hmm. tends to provide really good information. Um, uh, Medline or Medscape um, tends to provide really good information. Um, here 
um, the U.S.-based um, national. Um, um, I'm thinking of um, national NIM, Institute national of institute mental health, health mm -hmm. um, and the national. Um, th those are all really good organizations to to kind of yeah search. NIH. Um, NIMH. NIH is the one I was looking for. Right. National Institutes of Health. National right. Institutes of Health. And they have a lot of subcategories like the NIM, National right. um, Institute of Mental Health. Um, NIH. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, but there are there are some others. There's one called um, Shrink Rap, uh, Shrink Space RAP. And it's actually three psychiatrists, mm -hmm. you know, so that's probably going to give you good information. Um, there's another called Dr. Psychobabble, again, a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are reputable yeah. uh, people. So there are uh, some, there's the American Counseling Association. Right. Has a good uh, website and an active page that they keep up with every day. American Psychiatric Association. Yeah. Tell you another good one that I always rely on is the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Yeah. It's a very user-friendly, and they give you access to it. Uh -huh. You don't have to be a member to get to gain access to a lot of their materials. Right. So again, what we're saying is um, start with the organizations. Right. Okay, that's your safest bet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. Is there any other questions? All right. So I think that that is it. Um, they're taking a break for lunch now. So uh, we appreciate the opportunity to present uh, and be part of this uh, conference. And um, there's our contact information is up. If anybody has any questions or would like to, um, you know, be in contact with us or follow what we're doing, all that information is there. And um, we are happy to communicate. So, all right. They're going to have lunch. Yep. We're going to have breakfast. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye.